Welcome to the Flicks and Scoops podcast. It's me, Ash, attempting to mash together the two loves of my life, film and ice cream. Each episode, I ask my guests to pick a film, I then make an ice cream inspired by the film, and then we sit around and chat about the film while we eat the ice cream. And if I didn't just say the words enough, then film and ice cream just for good measure. Part two of the Flicks and Scoops Grindhouse double bill now, and for the follow-up feature, I'm joined by my mate Jonathan Hart, who makes up the other half of the short film team at Norcone's very own Wolf Kino. In this episode, we're mulling over Ridley Scott's Blade Runner and attempting to avoid having an existential crisis. Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the film and you want to watch it before listening to the podcast, then I think that would be a great idea. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again. Because what do you mean you've never seen Blade Runner? So now, sit back, or stand up, or run, or whatever, and enjoy Flicks and Scoops Episode 6. Now it's time for Ice Cream. And you can get it right here. Alright. Flicks and Scoops, it gives me no great pleasure today <laughs> to introduce my friend, the co-host of the Wolf Kino short film Open Mic Night. He's not from New York City, he's from Rotherham. Please welcome Jonathan Hart. Thank you, I'm very happy to be here and thank you for introducing me as being from Rotherham because I like to think I represent Rotherham's more artful and conscientious side. A man of the soil. I mean, it was um, it was mixed for me because obviously Rotherham's um, teen pregnancy capital of Europe and rape gangs and stuff. So it was hard to get out of uh, the rough city of Rotherham, but I think I've done quite well. So you've been in Berlin for four years? I'm starting to lose track. And it's gotten to the point now where... I'm trying to understate how long I've been here because my German's still not very good. So I like to tell people I've only been here for a couple of years now. <laughs> I do the same. Yeah. Just, just so it makes you sound way less ignorant. Yeah. Uh, nice. So I'm glad to have you on the on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about time. I think I'm number seven. Uh, six, actually. I would have liked number two or three. Well, but then you wouldn't have been part of the the double bill, this grindhouse thing yeah. I've got going on with the with the open mic. Uh huh. Um, yeah, mainly pleased because one of my fondest memories. I have with you was at the cinema. We went to see Spring Breakers. Oh god, yeah. In Sheffield. That that was my actually my favorite cinematic experience of all time. It was my favorite cinematic experience with you. Yeah. Uh, because you went in bearing in mind you can't drink in the cinema in in the UK. It's not like in Europe where you can enjoy a nice beer. Uh-huh. And uh you went in all guns blazing, Mr. Badass, with your five bottles of beer in, yeah. in a backpack. Five bottles of beer and a substance that will remain unnamed. <laughs> vape oil. Yeah. It's a shit ton of vape oil. Um, you went in as a ruffian, giving it Billy Big Bollocks with your bag of booze. And then by the end of the film, you're positioning yourself as some sort of high art critic, like Roger Ebert or something. And got super annoyed at the people in front No, I wasn't. Honestly, we'll just give it a context. Uh, Spring Breakers is a Harmony Korean film. Obviously, he's quite an art house director, but he marketed it really well. Like, he marketed it as, like, the summer teen flick. So it was basically me and a couple of friends, Ash included, 
And with the rest was all just people that wanted to take their girlfriends or the lads to go see a see a movie. And obviously they were completely disappointed when it was just a weird art house film. And like right at the end, someone stood up and said, "Why did you bring me here?" Etc. It was it was so good. Like obviously they've been drunk stuff, but to see all these people that were fooled into coming to watch an art house film was the best thing ever. Right. Uh, I foolishly didn't think how much of a ball ache it might be trying to film this in the midst of Norkiln rush hour. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to sound like we're in Blade Runner okay. at, yeah, at certain good. points. Flying cars. <laughs> yeah. um, how's uh, how's life? How's it going? Yeah. Quarantine been okay? Quarantine's been great. Um, apart from obviously the open mic got shut down. But it's given me it's given me a lot of time to concentrate on other activities. Yeah. And how's the cinema been doing? How's Wolfkino been doing through the through the lockdown and stuff? I mean, they tried to keep going as the cafe and stuff like that, but obviously they can't sell tickets, they can't stay open, so they had to shut down as did every other cinema in Berlin. Um hopefully it's come back with gusto and we can start the event again. Because they've started showing films again now, is that right? Yeah, I'm not sure on the rules exactly, but it's, there's no way it's going to be as all the seats taken as before. Yeah, I went to the open air at Hassenheider, and it was it was a bit weird to mm. be honest because they weren't they were doing sit a row, skip a row, sit a row, skip a row, mm-hmm. um, which kind of didn't really make sense to me. Surely it would have been better to to put everyone on the same row, like spread them out. Mm-hmm. But anyway. And in the meantime, with the open mic, you've become very good at switching on and off lights and pressing play on laptop music. So congratulations on that. <laughs> it's a little bit more than that. It's a little bit more than that. I don't see all the behind the scenes work. No, but no one ever does. We we go on, we don't get a lot of appreciation, but we, we still do it. Uh, I got someone to help me, a really lovely woman called Angela Lee, and we're hoping to start again soon. She's in the previous podcast. She was in the previous podcast, yeah. She's a, she, she does the presenting. She's really, uh, she's a great presenter. And it's really nice that we found her. What a day for ice cream. Mm. Eh? I would say it's too hot for ice cream. I'm always surprised at how little you like the heat and no, the sun. I mean, I don't think anyone really likes it. I think everyone's persuaded each other that summer's nice and people enjoy the sun. But what's nice about being sweaty? But, I mean, as someone who identifies as a... A Latin American. <laughs> As someone that is <laughs> Latin American. Do you not miss the, the heat? No. Or the favelas? No, we don't say favelas anymore. It's communities. Oh, really? Yeah. Shit. When did that go out? About 10 years How ago. How behind the times of my height? <laughs> 10 uh, years ago. Oh, man. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, for the <laughs> film today, uh, you chose Blade Runner, Ridley Scott's 80s sci-fi starring Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. And for the ice cream, I went with a <clears throat> peanut base with honey-glazed sesame noodles. Mm, editors know Jonathan is currently eating that ice cream. <laughs> and how do you like it? Um, I mean, as I explained, I'm, I don't actually like peanuts and I have a minor allergy. <laughs> but saying minor that... Minor in what sense? I mean, it, it irritates me. <laughs> to eat it. There's yeah. no physical irritation. It's just you are irritated I just to feel eat a it. rather irritated. But um, saying that, this is probably the best peanut ice cream I've had. And I would consider a second scoop oh. at a later date. Nice. Good to know. Um, the reason that I went with peanut as a base was because 
Noodles are kind of like the the biggest food reference in Blade Runner. Mm. And there's a lot of sodium in noodles. Mm. Similarly, there's a lot of sodium in peanuts. Mm. And I thought, I've not made a nut ice cream for a while, so I thought it would make a good base. And then... Mm. It's definitely a film that flirts with sort of Asian aesthetics, so I get the connection. Yeah, right. And then, yeah, honey glazed some sesame noodles just to be a bit different and chuck those in. But I Mm. think they actually work fairly well. Mm. I think I'm quite pleased with how it turned out. The the honey aftertaste is absolutely delicious. Good to know. In fact, if it was just honey, I think it might be one of my favourite ice creams. (laughs) John, jumping into these questions, would you say that you're more of a flicker or a scooper? And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, I won't have to explain it as I've done each time I've asked it before. You don't have to explain it, but what I think that you don't explain when you explain it is the sexual connotations of flicker and scooper. <laughs> Who the hell have you been scooping? I'm not a big fan of sexual innuendo, so I, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to say neither. <laughs> there will be no fun ever. <laughs> If I, if you, okay, but I'm going to have to push you on one, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say the, the F word or the Okay, F that's word. fine. I'll, I'll rephrase it. Do you prefer films or ice cream? I mean, ice cream is more short-term fun, like direct fun. Films are more like fun that you can enjoy in hindsight. So I'm going to go with films. And when you do eat ice cream, do you usually get it in a cup or do you go for a cone? I'd always opt for the cup if available, but ask, just like today, the cup was not available. And why did you go for the cup? It's just better. And like the last bit, when it's melted, you can drain that into your mouth, which I like. With a cone, it gets soggy at the bottom. I just don't like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of being sticky. No, 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 no. I think we're, I think we're quite similar in terms of uh, how much we dislike mess. Yeah, <laughs> especially stickiness. Um, and what's your favourite ice cream flavour? Like, if you go to an ice cream store. You get one scoop. What do you what do you usually go for? My favorite ice cream f- flavor is four liters of Riva vanilla. <laughs> Bourbon vanilla. Bourbon vanilla, yeah. Yeah, we used to live together and he'd come back from where was it? Indonesia with food poisoning. And I wanted to put on some weight, I think, and I read that ice cream was the best way to do that. And it's at Reverse, which is like a sort of mid market supermarket. They're an ice cream and you could get four litres for a few euros. And I would make myself sick eating that most nights. <laughs> I think that period of my life is the only time that anyone's ever eaten more ice cream than me. Yeah. <laughs> which is, is saying something. You've, you've learned restraint with age. I'm still to learn that skill. So when you go to the cinema, um, is ice cream usually your snack of choice? Do you eat at the cinema? No, I generally buy the biggest popcorn and finish it before the film's even started. I'll just take a backpack full of beers. No, that was a one-off. <laughs> but yeah, for me, if eating or drinking at cinema, it only ever involves the biggest popcorn and the biggest drink, which in three-hour movies usually means going to the toilet at least two or three times. Bit in a bit of a vape as well. Oh, God. I mean, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to bring down the tone. Um, do you go to the cinema often? I would say in a year, a normal year, not this year, I would go to cinema about five times a year. Why so few? Um, I mean, I'm one of the people that always, I guess most people say that I'd love to go more. It's just you don't often do it. And 
I've been less excited about films that are actually showing as each year goes by. Like, I I feel less reason to go to the cinema every year just because I'm less excited by the films I show. Do you think that's age and taste, or do you think that's just because the programs I are think a bit ha- crap? Well, half of film programs, no, not even half, like 78% feel like they're franchises like Marvel, Star Wars, or like Jason Bourne 10. And I'm not that into those serialized films. Um, and it's nice when these it's like sort of prestige cinema season or Oscar season and you can watch a lot of original stuff, but that doesn't happen. That only happens like once a year. The rest of the time it's like Spider-Man 10, and I'm not really that bothered about that. Yeah, it's a gripe I also have. Mm. And I think it's probably just going to get worse with this Disney-Fox mm. merger. I mean, well. Disney owns so much of the market now. And it's starting to show itself like rear an ugly head where they're dictating really awful terms to cinemas. Like you can only show our, you have to show our new film in at least half your screens. Like no free tickets for staff. It's like they've monopolized it and they're really taking advantage of the monopoly. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's not even like they're doing it in a Kubrick sense where mm. you used to send letters out to, the, letters to the projectionist. Yeah, 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 right. And those letters are really nice to read. But there's nothing, it's nothing to do with that, what Disney are doing. Like, there's so little art involved in what Disney are doing that it's hardly even cinema anymore. Like, what's his name? Scorsese had a point when he said that Marvel isn't cinema, because it's not really. Yeah. Um, but do you still watch a lot of films outside of the cinema? You watch quite a few at home. Yeah, I mean, I would say, sadly, most of the films I've ever watched has been in bed on my own at night on the laptop screen. Especially classic cinema that you can't really see in the cinema anymore. I mean, I guess in Berlin now you've got um, open air places that show like Apocalypse Now or whatever, but generally if you want to watch a classic, you have to watch it on a laptop screen or or whatever at home. So that's where I consume most of my cinema. And do you miss the cinematic atmosphere of being in a darkened room in front of a projector screen? No, I mean, I completely identify how much that adds to the experience. Like, it's absolutely amazing when it works. And there's some films that if I didn't watch in cinema, they wouldn't have been half as good. So I, I do miss it. But, like, I haven't got a lot of choice if everything's shut down at the moment. So I don't feel any sort of guilt over it. Yeah. But maybe next year, New Year, New Me, go to the cinema every every couple of weeks. I mean, it was great when... Wolf Kino was open because we got free tickets there. So I'd be there at least once a month. But until coronavirus is over, I probably won't go to the cinema. Yeah. Have you seen Blade Runner at the cinema? Because they often bring it back and do these, you know, special recuts or sure. special screenings or whatever. It seems like that and Apocalypse Now are always the candidates for being shown in the cinema. But no, I've never seen it. But I wonder if it would add a lot to a film I must have seen 20 times already. I'd be really interested if they got someone in the production team or an actor to do a Q&A, but I'm not rushing out to see it in the cinema cause, just because there's nothing that I think I can gain from sitting down and looking for something I've not seen before because I've just seen it so many times. Yeah. Have you ever been to a Q&A? Yeah. I mean, the, fir- the first one I ever went to was, was you. We went to that... Berlin Lust B-movie one. Oh, right, yeah. Mm. I completely forgot about that. And that, that was the director. And that film was, like, was shown for like two years later, like still on this um, sort of independent cinema slash festival circuit two years later, which was crazy. 
And like even in Berlin, they they really like lap this film. Up. I think it's still going this year mm. as well. I, I mean, we watched it. it was in a half full cinema in Sheffield, and like people were interested, but not like crazy interested. But here, it's like the gospel of what Berlin is. Yeah, no, it's a good film. And actually, remembering the Q and A wasn't that bad with that one. Mm. I've been to some film Q and As before. And it's it's yeah. awful, man. Like you get the worst people. Yeah, I mean, it's, I remember that one. Well, like, half the question was really good, but then some of them was like, "Have you been to that club in Berlin?" Like, I really like that club. Like people trying to show off their Berlin credentials, and it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Trezor's good, it's like, but it's, no one cares about that. Answer. They yeah, want to yeah. say, well, what was it like to show Ian Curtis Alexander Platz? They don't want to know. Like, did you ever take coke in Trezor toilets? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I went to a Ken Loach one once for Jimmy's Hall about some Irish dance hall and some of the questions at that were hilarious in fact you would have loved it there because the audience was mainly over 70 mm-hmm. all hardened labour heads which Ken Loach film was it? Jimmy's Hall it was called so it wasn't even mm-hmm. one of his most like political ones mm-hmm. but there was, <laughs> there was a guy in the audience uh, asked a question mm-hmm. and it always fascinates me how people in Q&A audiences manage to weave <sighs> something about the cells into the question. Yeah. Like you, you get it a lot with like... Film students. Yeah, film, yeah, yeah. or like script writers. Or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in the script that I've been writing or something I've been researching, but this guy didn't give any shit, so he just went into like a 10-minute tirade oh, about God. how he was on the front line with the miners and all this sort of stuff. Oh, and then at the end, Ken Lotus was just like, so what was the question? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that a few times where they, the director says, what was the question? And you feel so sorry for them, but they sort of compare. He has to be really rude and say, like, excuse me, is there a question? And cut them off. Or just let them do it. And most times you see them let them do it. Maybe that's the best approach, but it's like a, a train wreck Q&A. Like if, I, <laughs> if I was in a position to do Q&As, I would be nervous that I got like one of those. Because what can you do apart from just nod your head for 10 minutes? Would you like to be a moderator at one of these things? I don't think I'd shy away from interrupting someone if they were completely derailing it. But I, w- I wouldn't be that good at the sort of charisma you need to sort of make a connection with some stranger in the in the crowd and make them feel heard, etc. Right, Which right. is part of the reason why I don't do the the presentation at open mic, I guess. Ah, that's why you've pawned it off on Angela. I've pawned it off someone that could do it a lot better than I. Uh, no, I think it works pretty well, to be honest. Mm. Um do you enjoy doing the open mic stuff still, or is it worn a bit thin after a while? No, it got it got better and better. I mean, it it was like a great semi artistic outlet, and it felt great to talk to people you never talked to, experience an industry you had no experience in. Have you ever made a film? No, um, I remember hearing you ask Angela this question, and it's it's never something I ever considered seriously before open mic but engaging with all these sort of young filmmakers it makes you think that well you should really do this if you're involved in the project and taking in six seven short filmmakers a month you should be able to at least try and be able to emphasize with the experience that they go through and i think i'd be all right at the filmmaking process or at least at a very amateur level but it's the artistic it's the first step of actually coming up with an idea and writing a script i would struggle with but maybe i could try and make a, a film out of someone else's script. Well, I know we discussed in the past mm. making a art house black and white the, short film. The eponymous comma, comma... Colon, colon, colon semicolon. Semi-colon. <laughs> I come up with that one, so don't steal it. <laughs> I've 
seen things you people wouldn't believe. Hmm. Tax ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I've seen sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. Hmm. But all those moments will be lost in time like tears in the rain I think I'm going to have to put the score over that otherwise it's going to sound absolutely psychotic <laughs> uh, so, yeah so moving on to Blade Runner why did you why did you choose Blade Runner as your choice of film to talk about I think it is the best example of what sci-fi should be that and Star Trek I think any sci-fi that looks outwards and tries to talk about technology or fantasy sort of misses the mark. I think Philip K. Dick got exactly right where sci-fi is more about looking inwards and exploring what it is to be a person and the human experience. And I think that Blade Runner does that extremely well while still being an entertaining movie. And more, even more than that, I think aesthetically it's one of the most beautiful films ever made. So yeah, that is why Blade Runner is my favourite film. Have you read the Philip K. Dick book, The Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I'm ashamed to say no, but everything I've read, it's a very loose adaptation. I think a lot of the character names are the same and explore the same themes, but as a plot, they're very, very different. Yeah, well, I think the references, I mean, it's based on that, but I think also... There's uh, another novel called Blade Runner mm. that I've, I've I've also not read. That's not like um, where they turn a film into a book afterwards, right? No, it's um, it's a, also set in the future, but I think it's about some organ harvester oh, right. or something like that. Which it, I think they took the title from that and the story from the. Is that Philip K. Dick as well? That's... No, I don't know who that is actually, but um, mm. not Philip K. Dick. It's really cool title like i really like that blade runner like i don't really know what it means but it sounds like sharp and cool and fast (laughs) (laughs) do you remember the first time that you saw the film i was thinking about this on my way here and i it would have been again probably in my pants in bed on a laptop and this was about seven or eight years ago and i think ever since then i've watched it at least every year um thank with a lot of my favourite films, they sort of go down in my estimation as I get grow older. Like whatever emotional connection I had with it, I grew out of. But Blade Runner is one of the few that has stood the test of time for me. Like I, we watched it just a week or two ago, and it was just as good then as it was ten years ago. And did did you know about the film before you watched it, or did you just watch it on a whim, not knowing anything about it? I, I mean, I think it's definitely a film that. I think everyone knows about, but I think it's also one of those films that only half the people that know about it have seen it. It's not like Godfather or Star Wars where pretty much everyone's seen them. I think everyone knows there's a film called Blade Runner out there. Not that many people have actually seen it. I think for me it was a bit of an issue because I knew quite a lot about it. Mm. I mean, I even knew how it ended before I watched it. And because obviously it's such a... But how does that... Like, how would you s- tell the ending in a way that really spoils the film? Like, that Roy Batty Well, dies? there's no twist, but it removes any kind of suspense, knowing that he's going to die and Deckard isn't. Th- there's the whole tears in the rain at yeah, the end. I'd, yeah. I'd seen that clip 
God knows how many times. Well, now you've mentioned it, the um, Tears in the Rain monologue. Like, I'm not saying that Blade Runner is the best movie of all time by anyone's sort of judgment, but I will stand by that that scene between Roy Batty and Deckard when Roy Batty is sort of giving in to his fate that he's got a limited lifespan and he wants to tell it... uh, to tell his experience of his life to his nemesis in his final words. I think that is the best scene I've ever seen and probably the best sci-fi scene ever made. You heard it here first. No, really. I think, like, it's absolutely amazing. Sometimes I listen to that on the bus. It's just so good. The speech? The speech is just... The four-line speech. It's got got everything in it. It's like, it's philosophy, it's exposition, it's world-building, it's emotional... Like and 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 on top of that, it's not, it wasn't all written in the script. Like some of it was improvisation. Like the last bit, or all, all those moments would be lost in time. Like tears in the rain. Like it's fucking beautiful. I think it's absolutely amazing. And did you fall in love with the film the first time you saw it, or has it been more of a grower? No, it's been more of a grower. But it's interesting because I don't think the whole film is perfect. Like I think that the third act has got some serious problems. Like, you're supposed to um, sympathise with all the androids, but you end up only really sympathising with Roy Batty after his final speech. The rest of them seem a little bit too psychotic and unnerved, which is kind of the point, because they have this inbuilt like lifespan, they're going crazy, and they're, they're being hunted by, um, by Blade Runners. So I get that's what they're meant to be, but sometimes it, it goes into the farcical a bit too much, and especially the scenes when there was this sort of doll maker robotic guy, I kind of usually switch off a bit there. So it's interesting, because I would normally say it's, the whole film's amazing, but re-watching it, that, that middle of the third act does struggle a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly not the biggest fan of the film. I, if anything, I preferred the, the sequel. The sequel yeah. <laughs> This is, this, is, this is the problem with the sequel, because it's hard to deride it too much, because it's, on its own it's a fine movie, but I didn't see any of the aesthetics or philosophy of the original Blade Runner in this new one. Like It's a, it's a really nice film, and I really like Ryan Gosling in it. I really hate that they cast um, Jared Leto as the... Like, Jared Leto, I think, is the worst actor of all time. I fucking hate him. Personality-wise. Personality-wise, and I think his acting, acting is, cr- is crap as well. Right, right. Anyway, this Blade Runner twenty forty nine is it? Is a fine movie, but there's there's nothing to think about after you've seen it. It's just a nice sci fi film. I don't know. I think it still poses the question: What does it mean to be human? Not in the same way. I don't think. Like you can tell they're not working off a decent source material or a deep source material written by some speed addled crazy author they got all the inspiration from L. Ron Hubbard who invented fucking Scientology <laughs> like it's written by a sort of committee of sci-fi writers I think one of the writers of Blood on 2049 was um, one of the famous actors from Star Trek and stuff it's all you can tell it's done by committee West. the original Blade Runner was written by two guys with interesting enough like conflicting visions of what the book was trying to say, especially around um, Deckard, is he a human, is he android? But it came together really well. And th- this film was obviously done by Hollywood committees, Blade Runner 2049. And that's the difference, I think. I was reading about the script writers because didn't they both write it with different endings in mind or something? Like one thought that 
he was supposed to be an android, the other one thought he was supposed to be... Uh, but the, that was never... In any of the cuts, even the first cut, which no one ever sees anymore, there was ne- they were never going to reveal that. This is just something that people have thought about afterwards. And the two writers didn't... Uh, one thought he was an android, one didn't. But there's nothing directly in the film which addresses his humanity or lack thereof. Other than... There's one bit in the final cut, I think it is. Uh-huh. Or the, or the direct... I always get them mixed up. Uh-huh. There's so many. But there's, there's the part where he finds the unicorn. Yeah. Uh, in or whatever. Uh-huh. That's... I mean, to me anyway, was it not supposed to explicitly say this guy's an android because he's got this implanted memory that he's found from elsewhere? I think that... Well, you could see it that way, but you could also see it's the... Policeman trying to fuck with him by saying like we're washing you because he it was a sort of mustache policeman that made these unicorns that, like earlier in the film. But I I always thought that it's just this guy trying to fuck with him saying we're coming for uh, Rachel and uh, we know where you live and that's why he runs away. I, I think in the final cut it ends with like a driving scene like on Big Sur in California or something. I'm glad they cut that out. But the two direct, the two writers having conflicting views on whether Deckard was a human or not is fine, and I think it makes it, that's why it works so well as an ambiguous point, and why we're still talking about it today. I like the ambiguity of it. I think it would detract a bit from the whole point of the main question of the film. Yeah. If if you knew for sure at the end if it was if it was a, a replicant, yeah. what what I realised when we were watching it last time is that. It's basically like two hours of Deckard getting beaten up by every other character. Like literally all four or five other androids beat the shit out of him. And he's just getting beaten up the whole film. And I think that's really funny. Do you think if we found out at the end for definite if he was or wasn't a replicant, that it would change the film somewhat in an ideological sense? I'd be really disappointed if they... or said explicitly whether he was or not. Like this is this is the main talking point of the film. Like even to this day, that's what everyone wants to talk about when you talk about Blade Runner. Like, was he uh, Android or not? I'm not that interested in that question personally. I think the wider question on what makes something living and like worth preserving is a, is a better question. But um, it's really good, like sort of coffee table, like just meeting someone. In the, they mentioned Blade Runner. You can talk about that. A lot easier than you can about existentialism, I guess. Well, I'm going to ask you that question then. <laughs> um, what does it mean to be human? Have, is it having emotions, empathy, uh, having a certain consciousness in your surroundings, or just being flesh and blood? I don't, it's definitely not flesh and blood. I think it's like cognition, being able to make choices, being self-aware is a really important thing. I think there's even like scientific tests and like measures on how you can measure life. Like, is it able to adapt? Is it able to procreate on its own? There's like these five or six different measures, and in most of them, replicants or androids fail. But obviously, they can still think and make choices. At least in this this movie, it expresses that way. But then you could say, does anybody think or make choices, or does everyone just react to to stimulus and environmental? Factors. So it is a good question, but I definitely don't have the answer. I don't, no, no one has the answer. Something that I was thinking about when we were watching it is uh, what would it take for me to question my own yeah. memories? 
what would it take for you to question your own memories? To think that, so, <laughs> to question whether this is real? Oh, fucking it. I don't know. We'd have to live in, maybe in a hundred years when, what really scares me is the idea of being able to download your, inter- interface computers with your brain. Because one, uh, you could live forever, but two, and what's even more scary to me is you'd be able to copy and paste yourself. And that really scares me. Like, the idea that, I could be copied, edited, and stuff. We're nowhere near that. Well, at least we're not there now. And there's like all people like Elon Musk stuff trying to investigate whether that's possible. But as we are now, and everything I know about technology, I'm not afraid of that at all. Like that, I'm a android. That my memories are implanted. Like I have enough faith in existence. I guess it's something that I've thought about more since being in Germany. Actually, I think people are more aware of government control, or at least more vocal about it anyway. But even just through social media, uh, a lot of people here don't use their real names, for example. Mm. Which for me, it's never been an issue. It's like, well, who gives a shit, really? Mm. But even just choices that you make on social media Mm. could then lead somebody to make a fairly accurate version of you, like an online version of you. Do you yeah. Know? No, I get that. And I get the Germans are really like near paranoid about this stuff. And even that you, you guys have got this, these concerns about government tracking out this kind of stuff, but I've never cared for it for myself. Like, I don't think anyone cares that much about me. And that's not me being like self-defeating. I just don't think I've got any reason for a government agency to track me, to build up a profile of who I am. I'm just not that bothered. Who is Jonathan Hart? An enigma. <laughs> I don't know, but I don't think the government cares, is what is my point. I need you, Dex. This is a bad one. The worst yet. I need the old Blade Runner. I need your magic. What's your favourite scene? Well, I'm going to... I'll give my two, two favourite films uh, scenes, because obviously the, the f- favourite scene is the Tears and the Rain monologue. But my second favourite scene... I really like the two scenes with the Voight-Kampf tests. Like, I really like those kind of like psychological like therapy questions that they're asking, like giving you basically um, Rorschach tests, but in speech. Like, rather than trying to imagine what's on this dotted paper, imagine the scenario and your uh, emotional response to it. Do you think you would pass the Voight-Kampf test? I'd love to know. I'd love to know if I'm that detached from... Emotional responses that I would or wouldn't pass. Well, let's bloody find out. I've got one lined up. No, you don't. <laughs> I have. Uh, could you pass my laptop, please? Perfect. Fortunately for us, our friends, mm-hmm. and I say friends in the loosest sense because I don't know them personally, but the uh, the BFI uh-huh. have set up an online Voight-Kampf test, mm-hmm. which I was curious to see what result you'd get. So... If, you, if you'd be so kind, I'm not going to ask the questions because I think I would do a pretty poor Harrison Ford impression. But I would like for you to do it and talk us through your answers. And I'm going to screen record it anyway for posterity. Fucking therapy, this really, this voice contest is great. So, Mr. Hart, <laughs> if you would please. Do I read it as well? Yeah, if you could read out the questions and answers and maybe talk us through your thought process. If you can. So I'm, I'm doing the are you a replicant test, i.e. the Voight-Kampf test. Reaction time is a factor in this, so please pay attention, it says. 
You're watching TV. Suddenly you realize there's a wasp crawling on your arm. You swat, wash, savor, or trap. Hmm. I'm definitely not a trapper. Like I, I always find it weird when people trap. So I definitely don't savor it. I swat it away. I'm a swatter. I actually really enjoy swatting away wasps. You pass a homeless person. Cold night, big city. You fumble for change, but a £10 note drops into their lap. You leave it, swap it for small change, say it was deliberate, or double it. Actually, this is a good question, because two weeks ago, I was coming out of uh, the local supermarket, Edica, and the homeless man was there, and I was like, asking for one, like, no, sorry, I don't have any. Anyway, I get back to the shop, and I realize that 10 euros has fallen out of my pocket. And I bet if I gave the guy money and went back, he would have given it me. But obviously, because I was kind of short with this person, they kept it. But in this scenario, the options are leave it, swap it for small change, say it was deliberate, deliberate or double it. I would like to think I would swap it for small change. Like, you have a fiver, I'll have a fiver. I wouldn't fight them about it, obviously, but I would like a bit of money back. A friend offers you tequila. In the glass lies a worm. Time to... Drink it and enjoy the ritual. Do nothing to mask your disgust. Disgust. Refuse it politely or pick it out. I guess the idea is that it's meant to be in there. I like to think that after a few drinks I would uh, indulge and drink it. Now and then you contemplate life alone. It is independent, inconceivable, insulting, intriguing. I mean, everyone has times when they're on their own for a longer period of time than they want to. And I've experienced that as well. I don't really like it very much. I don't know how it could be insulting, but I definitely wouldn't find it intriguing. And I can definitely conceive it, so it's not inconceivable. So I guess it is, by deduction, independent. You see a friend who suffered bereavement. Afterwards, you feel annoyed at their lack of engagement, powerless to help. Saddened or bored? I'm really getting deep with these questions. Um, I would, I, I would feel saddened. Like I find bereavement a tough thing, and when I can see it in other people, I think I feel it too. At a party, a guest boasts of their perfect life. How do you respond? I indulge them, try to outdo them, sit silently, or mock them. Um, if it's a friend who's enjoying a life that's better than what they used to, I would, I would indulge them. But if it's just some asshole that was living some superficially perfect life, I like to think I would mock them. I'll go with mock. Finally, it is bring your kids to work day. Your child misbehaves and is slapped by the boss. What is your reaction? Horror, acceptance, fury, or fear? I think anyone slapping my kid would. In- Bring out fury. Okay, we're finished. Oh, <laughs> I'm forty six percent likely to be replicant, which is very high. It's very low. No, I it's mean bullshit. That. What are you talking about? <laughs> Where's Elon Musk? Put your batteries. You must be a new model. <laughs> <laughs> I do spend like most of my days looking at Elon Musk Twitter, so it's probably wrong. He's, he's been on a bit of a mad one lately. Yeah. On Musk, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I, the, I saw um, the one from Grimes. Grimes, yeah, she yeah. just called him out. She's like, "This is not you." Yeah, give me a call. Just to make a point, though, if there's one of my friends who would absolutely not drink a worm in tequila, it's Mister Jonathan Hart. <laughs> 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 I 
I, I, I agree with you that most people would think that, but honestly, give me a tequila with a worm right now and I'll fucking drink it. Shit, I wish I'd come even more prepared. <laughs> It'd be great content. Great extra content. I don't mean like a full worm. I mean like one centimetre. Yeah, like the little, what do they call them, like lava grubs or something? Yeah, I think a fucking grub. All right, so you've partially passed the Voight Camp test. Uh-huh. What, which character do you relate to the most in the film, if any? Relate to... I mean, the film does a really good job at putting you in Decker's shoes. Like, you're with him on his quest to find out who the replicants are and retire them. So him. I mean, I think a certain kind of person could relate to Roy Batty, this kind of, like, ubermensch, rebellion type. But probably not me. I, I like Deckard, and I would put myself in his shoes. I think for me it would have to be uh, Sebastian. Sebastian, the, yeah, I feel sorry for Sebastian because he's obviously he's one of the only like decent people in the whole film. Like, exactly. he just said, like wants like to invent things and be compassionate to people, and his his like response to being nice and letting people in is to get murdered by robots. So. Well, it's just a genius. Locked up with his own, yeah. own inventions. It's an interesting take it's on like the... me in quarantine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's a whole topic in itself. But it's interesting that their take on the genius... Usually the genius is like some eccentric, antisocial weirdo that you can't, you're not meant to understand. But their take on, in a, on this genius is like someone that's a bit childish, but like loving and nice, which is an interesting take on genius. This is one of the issues I have with the film in that it's 280s and it's got these stereotypical side characters that you find in a lot of films of the time. I see what you mean. Like, there are a lot of like caricatures. Like You could compare it to Attack on New York, so this kind of 80s style where everyone's a bit extreme, but none of the films do much philosophizing, and I think Blade Runner does that. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, stylistically, it's at the forefront of, of mm. sci-fi films, which I appreciate, mm. but... Too much bloody synth. No, the the, the Vangelis score is fucking amazing. Do, have you got it on repeat? I've got constantly? it. On my, I've got it on my liked on it on my iPhone. It's like sort of this sort of futuristic or retro futuristic jazz. It's it's amazing. It's like music to be either euthanized to or like fly a spaceship to. I don't know. I think there's too many connotations to it for me. Maybe because I grew up watching a lot of 80s films. I wish I was brought up on that diet of films, but I wasn't. I'm having to discover cheesy 80s action films or like early 90s, like Die Hard and stuff on my own. But this is it. I think it's been, if anything, detrimental because I watched them young Mm. and I was watching them mainly for the action. Mm. Like Rambo or mm. Demolition Man, whatever. Mm, Rambo's, Rambo's really good in its own right, I think. Oh yeah, I think so. to be fair, I think some of them hold up. Mm. But it's, yeah, it's interesting. Like I was having this discussion the other day that a lot of them are is superficially trash, but it's actually the cinematography is amazing. Like Scarface, I think has got a lot of trash elements, especially in the dialogue. But some of the shots and cinematography is like really beautiful. It's like this this sort of paradoxical like idea that a film can be both trash and artistic at the same time. And do you like the look of Blade Runner? I mean, I only I didn't coin this term, but 
or you come to it any originally, but it's this kind of retro, futuristic, like sort of cyberpunk, steampunk thing, where it's like futuristic, but also poverty, which apparently before wasn't really something that anyone ever explored. Which, again, for me, ties into the fact that it feels like it's been overdone now. And I think because I watched a lot of other films that were obviously took inspiration from Blade Runner before mm. I saw Blade Runner. Mm. By the time I got around to seeing Blade Runner, it was just... You'd already be seen it. Yeah, it was yeah. a bit haggard, which is a shame, obviously, but... It's life. It definitely, life, baby. It definitely was an incredibly important film, I think. Do you think it's um, quite realistic in terms of its outlook on the future? Do you think there's a, a lot of similarities to how it could be today? Or? Definitely. I mean, now we're moving into an age where AI is, po- is soon to be possible. We think interfaces with the brain. It's like it's the whatever topics it's discussing still stand the test of time and still worth discussing. And that's rare for a film that was made over 30 years ago. Yeah. Have you been to LA? Oh. No, no. But it's interesting that obviously that... That's the sort of city shots and is meant to be inspired by LA. Obviously all miniatures, but um the languages that they speak is meant to be a mix of like Hungarian, Chinese, French. That's trying to show that this is like a really poorly integrated futuristic society, which I thought was interesting. That's kind of why I was asking you the LA question, just to see if you thought that the melting pot of different cultures, do you think that that was supposed to make the world seem more alien? Or do you think it was supposed to reflect how he thought it would be in the future? Um, yeah. Um, I don't think it, the film's trying to make any grand predictions about the future. It's a shame when the, these films like write what year that they're supposedly in, because obviously we go past that year and it's like, it's not like that. They could just leave it ambiguous like sometime in the future. I think Blade Runner is meant to be like 2012 or something like that. It's 2020. Or 2020, it's something like that. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't usually remember something like that, but it was quite recent, maybe May. I just remember seeing a load of people posting on film Twitter about today being the day Blade Runner is supposed to be happening. Uh, we, we, we didn't do that, but I don't think it's meant to be... It's not, I don't care about these sort of future-predicting aspects of sci-fi. I, ju- I just care about them talking about how people could be in the future. And it's obviously not been accurate at all because we don't live in this dystopia, but it's still a really interesting idea. One thing that I do hope becomes a reality is the ability to blow a massive hole through the middle of androids. Because have you seen, have you seen yeah. Boston? Is it Boston Athletics or Boston something? They make these uh, robots that can like open doors and stuff and oh. jump on crates and that kind of shit. Is it a dog? It kind of looks like a dog. Yeah, I think I've seen that. I mean, as long as we can blast the shit out of those guys, I'm good. Yeah, Futurama did a really good um, like discussion on this when androids become realistic and they had to ban having sex with androids because that's all people would ever do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so considering Decker's a replicant, how do you think that relates to his relationship with Rachel? Do you think it makes it, it humanises him more the fact that he's fallen in love? Mm. Or do you think that he's trying to replicate a sort of human lust for the skin. Because it, he knows that she's a replicant. Yeah. I mean, she does at that point too, I think. That's why she's at his house. 
Are you talking about that scene where she comes to his house and he kisses her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, that scene, because now we sort of rightfully would describe what he does to her as sexual assault, but at the time it's this kind of like 1950s thing where you can grab a woman and kiss her and as long as she kisses you back, it's kind of okay. But the way he does it is still a bit dodgy. Um, but is he lusting after her? Uh, yeah, I guess he is. But what, what was the wider question? Is it genuinely love? Or if he's potentially a replicant, is he just recreating lust, which is something considered to be human? I think he does. Like, in that conversation where she says, if I run away, will you come after me? He says, no, but somebody else will. And even though he's been threatened to go after the replicant he's already after, shows that he does care on some level. But whether there's an added level of lust because he's in love with someone that he's been hired his whole life to kill is a, is a good question. You're reading a magazine, you come across a full-page nude photo of a girl. Is this testing whether I'm a replicant or a lesbian, Mr. Deckard? Just answer the questions, please. It's come to the time that everybody's been waiting for. Mm-hmm. This fucking thing to end. <laughs> <laughs> um, so last up, I would like you, please, Jonathan Hart, to rate Blade Runner out of five scoops. And you, you're familiar with the scoop system. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonathan Hart is going to give Blade Runner... I'm giving it five scoops, bro. This Begrudgingly. Is, no, I mean, I don't like fucking scoops. I don't. I think, why five should be out of ten? Like, ten? A film isn't Who just, rates a film out of ten? A film isn't just five grades of good to bad. But then how is it 10 grades of good to bad? That dilutes right. it even further, right, surely. Okay. How about this? 4.9 scoops. There's no point. You, I, I'm giving you five. Look, I would disagree. I, personally, I would give it four. It's, ba- but, it's based on scoops of ice cream. If I want 0.9 of a scoop of ice cream, I, have, I can have 0.9 scoops of ice cream. But I raised this issue with uh, Stu. Who goes to an ice cream shop and says, hello, can I have 0.9 of a scoop? Please? But you can never, you definitely get half a scoop. When? Have you have you seriously been to an ice cream shop and asked for half a scoop of ice cream? How about we go to an ice cream shop? Mate, I'm it, buying wait, <laughs> If they do half scoops, you pay. If they don't, I'll pay. I'll pay for you just to ask for half a scoop. <laughs> I'm going to get one and a half scoops and they're going to give me one and a half. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much for doing this. It's been a pleasure, as always. See you in the ice cream shop. See you in the Looking ice like cream shop. like a nutter asking for half a scoop. <laughs> Jonathan Hart here. I just thought I should give a shout out to um, Wolf Kino. It really is a fantastic cinema in South Berlin. Shows films that you're not going to see anywhere else. And a lot of interactive experiences, such as Q&A. It's on Weisserstrasse, number 59. That's in Berlin, Germany. Um, And if you Google Wolf Kino, you'll find all their social media. Thank you very much. That's quite enough of that. Scoot all your little tushies over to flicksandscoops.com to peruse ice cream recipes and film ramblings at your leisure. As for Instagram and Twitter, I've been caught in both lassoes, so you can find it at Flicks and Scoops. In the next edition, I'm watching Starship Troopers and eating my most unusual ice cream to date with the co-founder and C-3PO of Hasty AI, Mr. Alex Venman. Follow on whichever potty platform you use so you don't miss it. It's a belter. See ya. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 
Ice. Ice. Ice cream. 